Welcome to session 10 in our study of James. Today we're in chapter 5 and we'll be discussing verses 1 through 12. So there was a comic in a newspaper back when people read newspapers and it showed a king standing on the parapet of his castle and he's shouting down to his subjects, remember the golden rule. And one of the loyal subjects says, what's that? And another responds, whoever has the gold makes the rules. Sometimes it seems like that's the world we live in today, doesn't it? Whoever has the wealth has the power. And that can make us feel defenseless or powerless sometimes. The people in James's day felt this way too, as we'll see in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. But there is hope if you feel discouraged by the state of the world today, because things will not always be this way. Jesus is coming back, as it says in verse 7, and he will make all things right. So let's read chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last day. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains? You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and, how, and seen the outcome that the Lord has brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. So, in verses 1 through 6, we see a pretty scathing commentary on the wealthy. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. So, does that mean that it's sinful to be rich? Of course not. Abraham, Jacob, and Job were all wealthy, and all were very close to God's heart. The problem isn't with having wealth, but whether people allow it to control them. Money is neutral, not good, not bad. But as 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, the love of money is the root of evil, and craving it causes much grief. I read a quote once that said, It's good to have riches in hand, but don't let it get into your heart. And James is showing us what happens to the people who do allow it to get into their hearts. The people in verses 1 through 6 have allowed gaining and having wealth to become the focus of their entire existence. And verse 1 says it's causing nothing but misery for them. The implication for the word misery in the Greek is to undergo a callous. The continuous pursuit of wealth and love for money has caused a calloused heart within them. 
which becomes evident in verse 4 when it says that they withhold pay from their workers. Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15 says, Do not oppress a hired worker. You are to pay him his wages, or he will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be held guilty. Many believe that the rich are insulated and immune from difficulty because they can just buy their way out of any problem. But judgment will come for them, because as verse 4 tells us, the cries of the workers have reached the ears of the Lord. The callous, selfish way in which these rich people have used their power and money to abuse others will not go unaccounted for. And this is encouraging news because have you ever felt like all the evil people are catching all the breaks while you try to do what's right yet still struggle? Well, be encouraged because God hears us when we cry for help and justice will be done. Verses 2 and 3 says that their wealth has rotted and their gold and silver are corroded and its corrosion testifies against them because it reveals the true nature of their character. These rich people have not used their money to produce anything positive, only their own glory. So it's worthless and corroded, just like their integrity. The things they value the most are the very things that will condemn them. Psalm 62.10 says, If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. Verse 5 says they've lived luxuriously and indulged themselves and have fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. Just like a cow is fattened up before being slaughtered. These rich people are fattening themselves through indulgence and luxury, but for what? What good was it doing? They were fattening themselves on their riches, yet starving spiritually. Again, their wealth was condemning them, as verse 3 says, but not because the money was bad. Possessions in and of themselves have no bearing on human existence. A plow means nothing to a farmer if left in the barn. Tools are meaningless to a carpenter if left on the shelf. It's when possessions are used that they gain significance. Just as Matthew 6.19 tells us, when we use our possessions for God's work and His glory, they will have eternal significance. One theologian says it's okay to have what money can buy as long as we have what money can't. Luke 12:15 Jesus says, "Be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions." Verse 6 says, "These rich people have condemned and murdered the righteous or innocent who weren't resisting them." So they're basically getting away with murder, if not literally then figuratively. Wealth leads to power, as we all know. And commentators say that this verse refers to the rich using their power and influence to sway the courts. Apparently, in James's day, the court system was pretty easy to manipulate if you had enough money. The workers could not afford expensive lawsuits, and they were beaten down every time. The workers had the just cause. I mean, they were innocent. Yet they were not given justice because of the rich people's manipulation. But just as verse 4 tells us, their cries for help were heard. They were heard by God Almighty, just like he hears our cries for help and justice. But we must be patient, as verse 7 and 8 says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. 
Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. We must trust that God will judge those who use their wealth and influence to abuse and take advantage of others. We must be patient, even when it doesn't seem to be happening, because the Lord is coming back. Revelation 22.12 says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Now, notice how James went from addressing you rich people in verse 1 to now brothers and sisters in verse 7. James is encouraging we who are in the faith that Jesus will return and judgment for wickedness is coming with him. Verse 9 says, look, the judge stands at the door. But Jesus' return will be according to God's timing and not ours. So if you've looked at all the hatred in the world and you've wondered what he's waiting for, trust him and his perfect timing because there's a reason why he waits. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus will bring order to the chaos we see. He will make what's wrong right and put an end to the wickedness. But we must wait, just like the farmer waits for his crop in verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains? A farmer had to wait many weeks for his seed to produce fruit. And the word patient from the Greek here comes from the compound of long and temper. A successful farmer must have a long temper. I mean, what good would it do the farmer to get frustrated and angry with the crop because it's not growing fast enough? It will grow when it's supposed to grow. And in the same respect, what good would it do us to get angry and frustrated with Jesus because he doesn't appear to be bringing justice to the world? He will return and judge evil when he's supposed to, in his perfect timing. And incidentally, just because the farmer doesn't see any growth doesn't mean that growth isn't taking place. I once read a quote that said, Never confuse hidden with dormant. That tiny seed buried deep down in the dark soil is undergoing an amazing transformation that the farmer can't even see. But eventually, the results of that transformative process will be seen when the farmer sees the tiny shoots emerging from the soil. We must trust that Jesus is working even when we can't see it. Romans 8.25 says, Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. The farmer waits with patience because according to verse 7, the crop is precious. It's worth waiting for. Verse 8 says we are to be patient and strengthen our hearts because the Lord is coming. His coming is near and it is precious and it is worth waiting for. In John 16, Jesus says, In me you will have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have overcome the world. So if you're struggling to find joy and peace, take heart and be encouraged and focus your mind and heart on the fact that this is not all there is. There is something greater in store. And the beautiful thing about this is when we start focusing on the future return of Jesus, it actually makes our present better. 
when we set our minds on Jesus coming back and making things right, it becomes easier not to get sucked into all the conflict and turmoil our culture seems to thrive on. We can rise above difficult situations because we know whatever sadness or anger or struggle we face, it's not going to last. There are always better times ahead. For a Christian, there is always something to look forward to. Focusing on our future peace and happiness also enables us to better handle personal relationships. Verse 9 says, Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So we should be patient with those outside the faith and patient with those inside the faith, our brothers and sisters. And isn't that one of the first symptoms of impatience? Complaining. Impatient with, impatience with God leads to impatience with others. If Jesus is returning, then there are much more important things in life to focus on than petty conflicts. I mean, a great way for the devil to wreak havoc is to distract Christians from thinking about Christ's return and to provoke us to grumble and complain about one another, which leads to division and alienation. The old adage, there is strength in numbers, is true. As Christians, we need each other. We need the fellowship, encouragement, and support that our Christian family provides. The camaraderie of faith is so important. As followers of Christ, we need to be reminded that although the road we travel on is narrow, we are not alone on it. We need fellow believers in our lives who can, as Hebrews 10:24 tells us, spur us on toward love and good works. We mustn't waste time with petty complaints against each other. And, as is typical of James, he gives us an illustration from Scripture to further clarify his point. In verse 10 and 11, it says, Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord has brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the importance of being patient with fellow Christians and being patient waiting on God's deliverance, this is not something that James has just cooked up in his own head. Scripture proves it to be true. You see what the compassion and mercy of the Lord has done for the prophets and Job? And that same compassion is at work in us too. So in verse 10, it mentions the prophets and the suffering that they endured. The prophet Jeremiah was arrested as a traitor and even thrown into an abandoned well to die. He was saved from that experience, but Christian tradition says he was later stoned to death. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Isaiah, according to tradition, was sawed in two under wicked King Manasseh. And as you know, Job lost everything, his money, his livelihood, his health, even his children. But as verse 11 tells us, even through suffering, they remain steadfast. Which leads us to the age-old question, why? Why must the faithful suffer? Well, better minds in mind have been grappling with this issue for centuries, so it's doubtful that it's going to be settled here. However, it is important to remember that we have an enemy who doesn't want us to succeed. 
and the devil's going to use every weapon in his arsenal against us. And there are people in this world who want to see us stumble and fall. One theologian says we must never think that obedience to God automatically produces ease and pleasure. Jesus was obedient, and it led to the cross. Second Timothy 3.12 says, All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But as verse 11 tells us, God blesses those who remain steadfast. And back in verse 4-6, verse he tells us that God gives greater grace when we humble ourselves. So not only are we going to receive the grace and strength to endure suffering, but we can actually thrive in the midst of it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Job himself, after all he went through, says in Job 42, 5, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Not only does suffering help us grow to grace, grow in grace and strength, but there is no measure to the impact that faithfulness through suffering has on others. I mean, Job lived roughly 3,500 years ago, yet here we are today gaining inspiration from his life. And what is he known for? Not his wealth, not being an upstanding citizen, but for patience and faithfulness in the face of catastrophe. I've heard it said before, God never allows the suffering of his children to be wasted. And if we come to him with our grief, our frustration, even our anger, when we bring Jesus into our suffering, then he will produce something greater in us than what was there before. Now, verse 12 goes on to say, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. So this verse seems a bit out of place in this context. But oftentimes when we're in the midst of a crisis, it's easy to say things we don't mean, or make empty promises to God. I'm sure we've all heard someone say, God, if you get me out of this, I swear I'll never do that again. Only to forget the promise 15 minutes after things get better. Our words and our actions must be aligned. Let your yes be yes. And not only does how we live impact those around us, but so does how we speak. We must follow through on our promises. So, as we've seen in this passage, James is encouraging believers to keep pressing on and not lose hope, even if we're suffering at the hands of those who have more money and power. Because God will bless us, even in the midst of our pain, and there will come a time when Jesus will wipe away every tear, when grief, crying, pain, and even death will be no more. Is there anything better to look forward to than that? And as we close, our challenge for this week is to make a concerted effort to focus on the return of Jesus and pray that he will give us patience, endurance, and wisdom as we wait for that blessed day. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.